This is Unclaimed Bands, show 59. All right, hey music listeners, this is Sean from Unclaimed Bands. Uh, tonight we're coming from the legendary Dobbs, 304 South Street in Philadelphia. And our guest tonight, all the way from Scotland, is Dave Akari. Hey, Welcome, Sean. Dave. How you doing? Fine, thanks, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm absolutely happy to have you here. Uh, Listen to quite a bit of your music before this interview as we're gearing up for it. And uh, I got to tell you, I really like it a lot. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> so uh, today we have Liz once again joining with us. And in case you didn't know, last time was not just a surprise. Liz is a regular member of Unclaimed Bands. Yes. Okay. <laughs> thanks for having me, Sean. Okay. <laughs> Dave Arcari, you know, you we know that you're one of the hardest touring international musicians out there today. We know all about that. But what I really want to know is when was the first time you picked up a guitar? I want to know how it happened from the beginning. Well, there's kind of two two different stories. There's the there's the first time I picked up a guitar. It was probably about 6 or 7 years old and uh my dad played a bit of guitar. But it was kind of Spanish guitar and of course I was a kid. I wasn't interested in any of the shit he was busy with because he was quite an old guy <laughs> he, he was uh, when I was when I was six or seven my dad would have been in his in his 60s wow, oh, wow. he was uh, a late bloomer yeah he would have been about 105 this year or something if he was still alive anyway he had this 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 Spanish guitar and uh, I covered it with tin foil to make it look like what I thought an electric guitar looked like <laughs> And in the UK, before decimalisation, uh-huh. uh, so I must have actually only been about five, because I was five in 1969 when decimalisation came in, and we went from old pennies and coins to a sort of more decimal currency. I used to get these big pennies, they're big fucking round things, mm-hmm. heavy, and I used to get this penny and just not know what I was doing with the guitar and just hammer the shit out of it, <laughs> and he'd come to pick up his guitar and there was like one string left on it. Oh. The bizarre thing is, some things haven't changed. After I played a guitar, it usually ends up the same way, minus yeah. the tinfoil. So that was the first time I really picked up a guitar, but I didn't really start playing guitar with any intent till I was about 19. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's good. So you started a little bit later, and of course you kept your style alive by just yeah. playing guitars. <laughs> Shredder. Hey, some, th- some things are good to keep, right? Uh, I wanted to ask you about your new record, um, uh, whiskey in uh, in my blood, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, how does this record differ from some of your previous ones, or even your first one? Um, predominantly that there's other guys playing on it, on all the tracks, but one, there's a, a bass player and a sort of snare drum cymbal kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And they're both Finnish musicians. Uh, we actually tried it out on the, the previous album, Nobody's Fool, which came out in a French record label. When I was recording that, uh-huh. the the label had they had originally wanted to license my second album, got me electric. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, it's a really small niche market. I've probably reached the majority of people who want this album. We really should try and do something new. It's going to be better value for me, and it's he's going to get more sales out of it, and it's it's a new project then. But I hadn't written any new songs. Or only, I'd only written one or two new songs. So I said, the next thing I suggested him was, instead of licensing this album, why don't you pick from the first three albums the tracks you think are the strongest ones or the ones you think your market will like best? And we'll either use them, I might re-record some of them. And I decided in my own, on my own terms that some of them had evolved a bit since they'd been recorded the first time. 
I could do new versions. Mm -hmm. I could maybe make some of them different by having this bass player who is the husband of my agent in Scandinavia. And we jammed together. We never actually tried to play together properly. So we did a couple of tracks on that album that these guys, Yuso and Honey, which is a strange name for a guy, but that's his <laughs> name all the same. He's one of the best-known drummers in Finland. He's a real real character. He thinks he's Elvis. I have, to, I have to check out some of the videos with his tiger-skin jacket and his... He was about 60-odd and doing his stand-up Elvis dance and hitting fuck out the snare drum, you know, it's quite funny. <laughs> so th that album went really well and the Finnish folk got really excited about the, the fact that they, they had some Finnish guys playing as well. And then Finnish record label Blue North suggested we recorded an album together. Mm -hmm. So we did. Cool, <laughs> cool. And that's how we got here, right? That, that's that's the, bit, the biggest difference is it's not just me just not you. Them. All, all the tracks I think but one have got these other guys playing on it but I it's not too not too obtrusive you know there's not like loads of production or fucking horn sections or any of that shit <laughs> that's okay that's okay uh, I wanted to ask you switch gears a little bit and ask you about the buzz group uh, now with the buzz group you have let me get this straight you've got a PR company you've got <laughs> a record label and you've got uh, a management yeah. piece to it too and uh, how did that come about, and um, how do you juggle that with being a musician? <laughs> well, it started about, and it's, it's, it's quite, quite a timely question, actually, because I started Buzz in 1993. I felt in Scotland, as, as a musician, I, I always really believed that a lot of good press, or press of any kind, and radio and TV, if you could get it, all these things are absolutely crucial to sort of differentiating yourself. And... For me, it, it, it was second nature to send out a news release to local newspapers and radio stations and stuff. And I couldn't understand why no other bands were doing it. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I, I might be able to kind of turn this not so much into a business, but it might help them. And I might be able to make a little bit of extra cash. So Buzz was just a name that I pulled out there because Buzz creating a buzz, I thought, and I called it Buzz Publicity. But very soon after that, my, my band at the time, um, we decided we would put out a, an album. And I was running a, a wee recording studio in Scotland. More of a private, just an eight-track studio. This is probably about 1991, 1992. And uh, so when it came time, nobody, no, no record labels were interested in, in my band. So I thought, well, shit, man, just... Do it yourself. Do it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Put it out. Of course. And uh, what we're going to call the record? Well, Buzz Records. Okay. <laughs> so that was... So we had Buzz Publicity and then we had Buzz Records. And subsequently, my pal Paul, who's also playing tonight, was not only one of uh, my most regular clients in the studio with his uh, band, The Cottonfield, but we actually ended up working together and putting out a single for The Cottonfield on Buzz Records as well. So uh, it's funny how it's all come like a quite a big circle, and we're all here today. <laughs> um, so that was that, and then my band split up. Paul stopped playing, moved across here to the USA, and I, uh, I just kind of, I'd got into steel guitar, and I was trying to do some solo stuff. Mm -hmm. So Buzz Records almost became dormant, although we were still trying to promote the records that were out. But I'd started playing some solo gigs and uh, 
somebody came up to me one night and said, would you ever think about playing with a harmonica player? And I said, yes, and he came round to the house. And then a bass player joined us and it started off a band called Radio Tones. We started gigging. We weren't going to bother recording anything, but people started asking for stuff. Uh-huh. So, oh, well, the, the infrastructure's there. Buzz Records exist. Let's, <laughs> let's put some shit out. Right. Excellent. So I did, and then I put out another album for a, a Scottish, quite a well-known Scottish, fairly traditional Chicago blues band, and then another Radio Tones album, and then another, and then a couple of singles. And all through this time, I was also managing or helping some other local bands and it seemed it was just easy to call that operation buzz artist management there you go at the same time i was uh, i jacked in my day job and i was trying to make a living doing stuff that i actually liked uh, i was playing in a whole load of other bands as well so I st- and i was i'd been a journalist in the past mm-hmm. and did a bit of photography and a bit of writing for the music press so all these other things, photography, graphic design, and by that time web development, were all things that I had learned how to do because I needed to do them for myself. Mm-hmm. I had no fucking money to pay anybody <laughs> else to do it. So like us all in this, DIY. Yep. And it's a great thing because you, you learn how to do it. Right. By, by doing it. Very mm-hmm. true. Very true. And uh, it was easy. The easiest thing to do was to lump all these things under buzz as well. So... But, you know, if I said, if I was doing some work for the city council in the city where I was living, and I was trying to do it as Buzz Records, you know, they were kind of starting to raise eyebrows, so the whole thing just started to get referred to as Buzz. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I realised I'd created a, not a bit of a monster, a bit of a, a tiny little animal, <laughs> but it, it had so many different fucking heads that... Right. So it, it's kind of all, all been a bit mixed up. And uh, really now... The last seven or eight years I've been concentrating full time on the, the solo songwriting and gigging. And my wife Margaret, she does all my, my bookings and, and stuff. Um, and tour manages me from the UK and stuff. So Buzz really almost is, is almost just a cover for a DIY operation again. Shh, we won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> We're not really, you know, we don't release anybody else's records now. Mm-hmm. It's a vehicle for my, for my own stuff. Well, and if I can help somebody else out or do a bit of consultancy or help somebody put a record out, yeah, of course. That's I, I awesome. Will. That's, that's great. I mean, you, nowadays, uh, well, actually, I think for a long time now, the best way to do it is to do it yourself. And that's the way it's been yeah. going, yeah, in the music yeah, for scene. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, you certainly have uh, have really have it well thought out from end to end, it seems. And uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it talking of, to you. it's taking a bit of a curvy path, you know. But some got there in trial the and error. Exactly. You li- yeah, you live and you <laughs> exactly. learn. As long as you get there in the end. Oh yeah. yeah. So obviously, this isn't just like a weekend hobby for you. So what are the pros and cons of being an independent musician, an independent independent artist? Well, it's, it's it's all pros. It's all good, really, apart from the fact that sometimes we're pretty skint. So you don't make all that much money, and sometimes you make no money, but hopefully the months where you pull in a bit more, it all evens out. <laughs> that is the absolutely only downside. The, uh, the upside is you do what you love. Right. You do it how you want it, when you want it. You know, There's nobody breathing down my neck saying, oh, we need an album right. next week or next month, or, or you know, you're going to wear this, or you're going to sing this pussy-ass tune or whatever, you know? (laughs) I can basically do what the hell I like. You're your own boss. Yeah. That's cool. And I have OCD, so... (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really, but people think I do. 
Let's dive right into your music. Let's take our first break. Can you introduce your first song that you're we're gonna debut here on our? Yeah, this is a interview. this is a song called uh, "Devil's Left Hand," and it's a title track from my third solo album. And it's got a huge, big, long story to it that you'll have to come to a gig and buy me lots of fucking whiskey. To hear. <laughs> anyway, here it is. It's "Devil's Left Hand." Something strange was happening Cause he gave me his left hand But when I shook his hand It didn't feel so good But on his little finger A broken bottle stood With the devil's left hand Reached across the sticks I drank all this whiskey And learned some of his tricks To the hallway, dark and dingy place. Then he turned toward me. I didn't recognize his face. The devil's left hand reached across the sticks. I drank all his whiskey and learned some of his tricks. When the lift door opened, it was way below the ground. A dark and dingy barroom. I didn't hear a sound. The devil's left hand. Reached across the sticks I drank all his whiskey And learned some of his tricks Suddenly there's a crowd Getting out control I whipped his ass and told him You'll never win my soul With the devil's left hand Reached across the sticks I drank all his whiskey And learned some of his tricks With the devil's left hand Reached across the sticks I whipped his ass and told him You'll never win my soul Okay, that was Devil's Left Hand. Uh, Dave, where is the best place for people to get your music at? Easiest way really is direct online, www.davearcari.com. Okay. The stuff's on iTunes, it's in various online stores. It's even available in some physical shops. <laughs> but you know, the, you could run about a long time before you'd find it. So really the easiest and most direct way via the website. Do you, uh, do you sell it at your shows? Yes. Okay, cool. That's uh, uh, and, uh, and that live shows, preferably even. That's yes. better than the website, actually. I'd forgotten <laughs> about them for some reason. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, I think that's always the best way. That we, uh, you can see people, you can get an autograph, too. Yeah. You know, all those wonderful things. You get some of the sweat and blood and yeah, whiskey see, dribbles. We just never, we never promote that, this, you know. <laughs> and, and people could buy you, a, buy you some whiskey and find out the story about the uh, Because the, the thing is, you know, a CD doesn't sweat all over you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Charge at you or nah. <laughs> interact. So being an independent artist, you obviously have a very busy touring schedule. What is it that you like most about touring? Well, play, playing the gigs. The, right. the show, show time is the... But show time's like the kind of... The icing on the cake, really. That's, that's, a, that's a real fun part. Right. But you know, I, I really do enjoy everything about it. I, I enjoy 
everything from writing news releases to discussing you know how, where we're going and all, all of it really food I'm driven quite a lot by food so if, it's, if I go somewhere where there's good food... So you're going to go across the street later then, I'm uh, assuming? Well, well, we, already had a, we already had a Philly cheesesteak and it was awesome. Oh, yeah, awesome. you got to do that while yeah. you're in Philly. Okay, yeah. good. You had that. You got the scrapple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got to get them to try Lorenzo's then. Yeah. Okay. Like world-famous pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, because uh, in, in our exchange to set up this interview, you talked, uh, you, you mentioned about the hurdles that it, it is for an overseas artist to play here. And we had an opportunity to talk with another band from Italy, and they kind of mentioned something uh, along that lines. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people, um, especially a lot of bands over here, understand, you know, how how easy it is for them to get a gig as opposed to someone like yourself. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there, there's a couple of things. Uh, uh, book, booking the gigs actually was the easy part of pulling this tour together. Mm-hmm. And uh, normally, my wife Margaret, who is, is also my booking agent and tour manager and stuff, she books all the all the shows. But she was so busy with European stuff, yeah, UK stuff, mm-hmm. that um, I thought, right, I'm going to grab this by the balls and and, and just make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be tough, especially as people over here, you know, okay, there's there's various CDs and I've had a little bit of exposure, but by and large, nobody would know me if it was in their soup. So, true. That, that 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 wasn't as hard as as I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest hurdle I would say, both logistically and financially, is the visa situation. Right. Mm. And I guess you know, artists coming into the UK, they have to have a work permit and stuff. Yeah. But it's more of a it's it's more of a you know paperwork hassle kind of thing. It's not. I I don't think it's quite as stressful. Because to get, if you're a solo artist, you need to have an O1 type visa. Uh-huh. If you're a band, you, it's slightly different. It's a P type visa, which they say is slightly easier to get. Mm-hmm. The classifications are, are different, and I think the official the official classification of the O1 visa is an an alien of extraordinary ability. <laughs> so I kind of thought maybe I'll go for an interview and paint myself green or something. You know? <laughs> That'll get around the alien part. I'm not sure how I demonstrate any ability at all, but. It, it's a long process. Mm-hmm. It, it takes can take three or four months just to get the initial petitioning done. You have to get somebody in the US to do it. I use an agency called Tamizdat, mm-hmm. and before you even breathe, it's fifteen hundred dollars. Wow. Jeez, jeez, yeah. Those guys left that part out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the UK side of it, which costs maybe another five or six hundred dollars. And having to go to London for visa interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot of costs involved in getting the visa. But the worst part is not so much even the cost because you, you know, I think US is a really important market and Absolutely. I'm not doing this to try and make some money now. I'm doing it to try and build some awareness. Yeah. O- over the years, I'd like to be able to come back here in 10 years time and, you know, just be part of it and, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing is when you put this visa application in and to satisfy all these criteria, you need international contracts from gigs you've done outside your home country. You need a lot of press and proof that you're at a certain level. Legitimate, that, I guess. <laughs> it's so it's so yeah, yeah, it's so subjective, you know. Right. Um, and you don't know until the last minute whether you're going to get the visa or not, or be allowed to apply for the visa. Wow. Wow. So it's not even a promised thing. No. Yeah. So I, we had to book flights from the UK. So there's, you know, 
three thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. All the visa application visa. I had to hire a PR guy because if I'd waited until I knew I'd got the visa and I got the visa, then it would be too late to actually do any work on it. Yeah. I had to put riders in all the contracts saying, you know, this is dependent on uh, dependent on me getting the visa being granted. Mm-hmm. But that's where places like there, there were I needed gigs. I didn't need contracts for all the shows, but I needed one the very first one and the very last one. Mm-hmm. And a few in the middle. And that's where, you know, Dobbs were fantastic because it was no problem with contracts. They totally understood the you know, the, what I was up against. Some of the other venues, uh, some of them were fantastic and came straight back. Others just not for any other reason and I just don't think they realise how important it was yeah, to just, actually making it happen, mm-hmm. you know. They don't understand it the same way. Um, and and why, why why should they? Because it's not they don't have to deal with it. So, But I, I think it is good for bookers and promoters and festival, or, I mean, festival organisers at the very top level will no doubt mm-hmm. have dealt with it all the time, but I think it's good for any venue or, or promoter or booker that wants to deal with artists that are coming from overseas. International, yeah. If they're familiar with the, the, the potential pitfalls, it, yeah. it makes the job easier all round, you know. For and sure. that's why a lot of these guys were, were fantastic, you know. Well, you know, with, uh, with I can't believe how much you juggle, actually. I mean, we talked about being a musician full-time. We talked about the buzz. But then you also uh, run guitar workshops and songwriting workshops as well. <laughs> so you do everything, do you, basically. Do you, do you sleep at all? Or? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky if I get to do any of these things sometimes, you know. But they, they are, they are the, the guitar workshops and house concerts and songwriting workshops and master classes are quite, are quite popular. Um, I don't do shitloads of them, you know. But they're just something that, you know, if I've got some downtime or if I'm on tour, mm-hmm. there are some music industry schools particularly in the UK and colleges where there's all these kind of kids want to go into music business so if I'm going to be in town quite like often, a guest yeah they'll want to know about yeah. running yeah. your own label how to make a living as a musician uh, or or it might be a, a, a performance kind of thing whether it be a guitar master class le- learn to play slide guitar in 30 seconds because <laughs> it is that easy <laughs> uh, you know or, or whatever so the, the, if I can fit them in, I do it. If I can, sometimes we have to turn stuff down, which is yeah, it happens. Kills me, but yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we uh, take a pause and listen to another song? Uh, what are we going to hear? Yeah, well, let, let's go for something off the the new album that you mentioned. Okay, uh, it's got the the Finnish guys playing on it. Uh, this is one of my favourite songs off the album, and it's called Cherry Wine. Cherry Wine. <laughs>
ever find All right, that was Cherry Wine by Dave Akari. Um Dave, you are all over multimedia uh, and, and social media, I should say, as well. Uh, but what's the, what's the best place uh, for people to keep up and find out where you're going to be playing out the news and all that? The, the hub really is my own website. Your own website? You know, I try and do the Facebook thing and there's stuff mm-hmm. on YouTube and the new MySpace. We'll see if that turns out. Yeah, I'm wondering <laughs> if that's going to, you know, take you off. You can't put gigs on there yet. Oh, oh really? Well, that's like the whole point. Tour dates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, way to go, you know. But I did, I did start an Instagram account when, uh, after my New York gig, my, my cousin uh, in New York, big in all this social media, and she was like, uh, get this on Instagram. So You will um, learn <laughs> the, the power of hashtags, I'm telling you right now. Oh, wow. You will learn. Right, I'm looking for a new They're very powerful. This interview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to ask because um, I was curious about the one section of your website for promoters, and you've got... I gotta tell you, that's probably one of the best layouts I ever saw. You have everything in there from your uh, your art, your posters, your contract insurance stuff, uh, the layout, technical stuff. You know, anything that any place that's going to potentially have you play can get all that information. And I was kind of curious, uh, uh, and you mentioned it uh, before the other question, uh, house concerts. Yeah. So tell me about that. I mean, I read it, but I I I don't know of anybody anybody that's doing anything like this. Well, and, and how did you start? Well, I, I kind of actually I came across them because quite a lot of American singer songwriter type artists coming to the UK. You know, there's not an awful lot of gigs for people in the UK. I mean, there's lots of gigs, but not decent paying gigs. Mm-hmm. Or you have to, you know it's the usual thing with trying to book a gig. Sometimes it's easier banging your head off the wall. So a lot of people in the UK who are are, are big music fans. Um, if there's somebody coming from the US, for instance, uh, that they really like, they're maybe not playing anywhere near them, they say, well, you know, maybe I can do a, a show in my house. <laughs> and it's basically, I've invite, you get invited along, and and that's what I saw this happen, I thought, this is, this is pretty good. And I've done quite a lot of different ones. It's almost like a private gig. Yeah. And sometimes it's in somebody's living room, and for their birthday, and they've got ten friends round mm-hmm. uh-huh. sometimes people hire a hall and, and you've got 200 people in there you know wow. so it's almost like they're just being a DIY promoter right yeah. but most of them tend to be in, in somebody's house or in, in their back garden or something and because of all the licensing things it's quite quite difficult so it's, it's suggested donations and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or, they, or they just pay you yeah but they usually you know, have a suggested donation and for some of the you know big well-known acts you know if you, if you could have somebody like somebody coming from, if you could have Hank 3 coming and playing in your living room well, apart from needing a reinforced fucking floor <laughs> and plenty of whiskey you know you're getting a show and he's right in front of your face you can't go to a venue and get that kind no. of thing no, you so can't. a lot of people want you know I'll book you to do a house concert for you know their partner's birthday if they're a fan or something like that so it's it's an interesting again there's not millions of them but sometimes if you've got a hole in your tour dates mm-hmm. especially in the UK people look and say oh oh, he's not playing why is he not playing in Birmingham mm-hmm. you know he's going from Manchester to London and he's got a night off and, well I would rather go and play in somebody's house and sit in a hotel room and do fuck all you know yeah, yeah. so that's cool works all around. and, it, and it's, it's a much more personal stripped back thing you know mm-hmm. yeah and sometimes they're completely acoustic 
but sometimes people have got whole PA rigs to sell. <laughs> so what's the best piece of advice you'd give to up and coming musicians about self promotion and managing their careers? Uh, be organized. Right. Just do it. You never stop. Don't just send out one thing and think that's the job done. Don't, don't stop. Be relentless. Mm -hmm. Be organized. Uh, keep control of everything. Yeah. <laughs> don't let any bastard get your copyrights. By all means, <laughs> license your stuff to people. Um, but don't sign away your, your publishing or anything because it's your, one of your biggest assets, you know. And, and don't play for free. You know, if you're starting out, you're going to a new town, maybe you have to do some things that aren't the best deal in the world. But, but know your value and, you know, you have to up the ante and grow things and differentiate yourself somehow. Cool, 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 cool. Um, I got to gotta ask, uh, we'll just kind of wrap it up here. Uh, after this tour, uh, what's next for you? We get back to Scotland on the 15th of August. And I think the following weekend I've got a festival in France. And then September, there's Shetland, which is a group of islands way north of Scotland. They're actually nearer Norway than they are Scotland. And mm -hmm. um, playing a blues festival up there. A few shows in the Netherlands. Um, there's a few, couple of UK shows, just one-off shows between uh, getting back from this tour and the end of the year. So lots of gigging, and I really should get my finger out and get some new stuff written. You know. <laughs> Cool. Well, Dave, I want to thank you for uh, taking time before you play tonight to uh, sit down and talk with us. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's been very educational and uh, as well as fun. And uh, <laughs> I, we, we don't normally have that combination. So uh, thanks very much. Um, until next time, everybody, this is Sean and Liz with Unclaimed Bands. I'm going to tune in for uh, this episode and, of course, the next one. Tell people about it, all right? Cut. Later. The statements, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals and in no way reflect the views of unclaimed bands, its parent company, or subsidiaries.